I tell you, I've had fun this week uh, watching Romans chapter 8 run around on Facebook uh, after the challenge last week. Remember, I, I challenged everybody, read it till you what? Read it till you believe it. And, and keep reading it. And, and boy, a lot of you have, and you were talking about that, commenting on that. And uh, I know that you were greatly blessed because I just believe that much about Romans chapter 8. It has for decades been probably the favorite chapter of mine in the whole Bible. You know, it's, it's a long chapter. It's 39 verses long. And literally every single verse it is just the power. It's a gold mine of God's power working for you, God's love for you uh, in this world. And uh, I, I tell you what, folks, if you didn't take the challenge last week, I encourage you to take it this week. Read Romans chapter 8 three times a day. It takes about two minutes. It's a lot easier than taking aspirin. Takes about two minutes. Spread it out through the read it three times a day for seven days. And I promise you, God will nourish your soul like maybe never before. I'm so I'm so confident that if it doesn't happen, I'll give you your money back. Okay? I'll give you, I don't know what money you gave me, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it back if it doesn't do that for your soul. You will find verses in there you want to memorize. I tell you, a couple I've memorized in there. One, I think a lot of us are familiar with, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things, now just stop and think about that, folks. All things includes everything. And let's just put that in perspective of where we've been. What, what, what entered your life this week? I would imagine a lot of stuff you knew would enter your life this week. Maybe some of you had some stuff enter your life that you weren't anticipating. All things that hit my life this week, all things that will enter my life in this coming week, doesn't matter where it comes from, how it gets there, all things work together for good, for the good that God is doing in my life. What an incredible promise. Now, two conditions. It's for those who love God. And those who are called according to his purpose. You have to belong to him. You have to be his child. And you have to be fitting in with the work he's doing in your life. If I'm apathetic toward that, negligent toward that, or worse, if I'm working in opposition to the work God is doing in my life, then the promise is not engaged. But, but boy, when I'm loving God, when I'm fitting in with what he's doing, then it doesn't matter what hits my life, it will be for my good. And, and then that chapter ends with two verses. Man, I love these. I am convinced. I, I just love the fact Paul says I'm convinced. I'm absolutely convinced of this, that neither death nor life, not angels, not principalities, not, not present things, not things to come, not height, nor depth, nor powers. And in case I haven't listed it yet, I think Paul just hits this next one to catch everything else. Nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How, how incredible is that, folks? That, that the power and that that power is used to love. Now, these statements I've just quoted, they're truths. They're truths that, that Paul is teaching. He makes this doctrinal statement. He makes this truth statement. You and I would then learn it. We would memorize it. We would pray for help to, to believe it. Now, what we're getting in the Gospel of Mark, especially last week and this week, is we're getting evidence of the power that Paul was just teaching about. 
If you would take those, all of those words I just quoted in Romans 8, 38 and 39, basically what Paul is saying is, listen, there's nothing in the physical realm, there's nothing in the spiritual realm that will ever be able to separate you from God. Now, what we saw last week is evidence of the kind of power Jesus has in the physical realm. Remember, we saw him stand up in that boat. He just, one word, one word, and he stops the wind. Two words, and the seas become dead calm. So we, we saw the kind of power he has in the physical realm. Today, we're going to see evidence. Today, we're going to see il- illustration of the kind of power he has in the spiritual world. And we're going to see that in Mark chapter 5. Would you turn there with me this morning? Mark chapter 5, as we continue our series in this great gospel. Now, folks, our purpose in opening to Mark 5... Our our purpose last week in opening to Mark 4, our purpose in studying this gospel is the exact same purpose Mark had when he wrote it and sent it to that church in Rome. You remember, there's all these believers in Rome. They're in church. They believe in Jesus. They're trying to follow Jesus, but the cost was going up. It, It was getting more costly to follow Christ. And what do you do when the cost of something changes? You evaluate You start to evaluate, is this worth it? And knowing what these believers are going through, Mark writes this gospel with the intent to to embolden, to strengthen, to encourage their faith. Listen, man, whatever it costs you, and remember, these are people that are watching family members get burned at the stake. These are people whose friends are being fed to lion. And Mark's saying, hey, listen, whatever it costs... He's, he's worth it. And last week, today, next week, we're seeing the power. We're seeing a presentation of the power of the Son of God. Last week in the physical, this week in the spiritual. Next week, quick commercial for next week. Folks, we're going to see his power in the realm of death. And I tell you something, it is, it is awesome. You are going to see Jesus speak to a little girl in a way to make your heart beat. But we're going to see his power. And if you, man, if you, if death is something that unnerves you a little bit, scares you a little bit, maybe you're going through grief right now. Maybe you know somebody. I would encourage you to be here next week. Bring that person because we're going to see an incredible display of the kind of power that Jesus has in the presence and in the face of death. But today in the spiritual realm, let's look at this. Mark chapter five. Let me begin reading in verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter into them. Now our our story starts off with two kind of descriptive phrases that probably don't seem real important. Probably real easy for us to run on right by them. But I think they're really kind of cool phrases. And it's that phrase from the other side of the sea. 
And it's the phrase, he stepped out of the boat. Because those two phrases, folks, tie us directly to the end of chapter 4, where we were last week. Now, think about this. Now, the, the crowd that is there is not, is not aware of all this. But think about the disciples. Now, we don't know a timing. We don't know if this is minutes after Jesus calmed the storm or an hour after Jesus calmed the storm. But it's pretty close. And so you think about the disciples. They have just watched Jesus speak to the weather and the weather obeyed. And then maybe a matter of minutes later, they're hitting the shore. They're getting out of the boat and they see this story unfold. I'll tell you, from the disciples' perspective, they're getting a real one-two punch at the power of the Son of God, aren't they? And so they get out of the boat and up, up runs this guy described with an evil spirit and an unclean spirit. He's got a, a, a demon, he, he's demon possessed and, and, he, and he runs up to Jesus and the description of this guy is just, is just horrible, isn't it? How sad. See the sadness. And of course, we, it's easy for us to see the sadness. I bet if you lived in that town and you knew that guy was out there, I mean, you know, the town man, they made fun of this guy. They had jokes about this guy. It, it, it appears that maybe on some occasions, I mean, they were afraid of him. They avoided him. They didn't want to be anywhere around him. And it appears that on a couple occasions, maybe a gang of men, I don't, I don't know if it'd be 10, I don't know if it'd be 25, but they were able to get up enough of a gang to subdue him just for a moment so they could put chains on him, so they could put shackles on him. How did that work? Not very well, did it? No, he busted through the guys. He busted through the chains and shackles. The guy is not being described as strong, okay? This is not a guy that's just, he's just stronger than everybody else. Now. No, he, he's got a supernatural strength. Folks, hard thing to hear here. We can get things from Satan. You can get power from the demonic realm. But boy, when you tap into that, you better sure see how it leaves you. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to see that because every person in this room wants power. We all want it. We may never wake up. Oh, I want power today. You're looking for power. You're looking for power to deal with a situation, power to deal with a person, power just to be prosperous and successful in life, power just to, we're looking for power. Man, we need to know the character of the power we're tapping into. We need to know what that power is. Folks, there's, there's the power of God and there's demonic power. There's not a neutral source that you're going to tap into. So, so we really do well to know where we're getting power from. So here, so here comes this guy. He lands before the feet of Jesus. I would imagine the town that knows this guy, that has watched this guy, said, well, I mean, I don't know what Jesus can do. I mean, the, no, no more than a person could subdue the sea could somebody subdue this guy. Of course, the disciples are probably thinking, well, funny enough, you should say that because this dude just subdued the sea like five minutes ago. And so he falls before him. Now, folks, let me, let me stop and say something real quickly here about, about demons demon possession, this kind of stuff. Truth be known, okay? Now, this isn't something we want to admit. It's just one of those things that's the truth. Our flavor of Christianity, our, our tradition of Christianity, we mostly ignore the spiritual realm, don't we? You, you don't have to nod your head. The, the, the reality is, yeah, for about 95% or more of us in here, we just, we just ignore that. Now, when I say we ignore that, I would imagine many of us, if not close to all of us in here today, we'd say, I, I believe in angels. I believe in demons, God, Satan, the spirit. I, I believe in all that. Now, I'm not, really, I'm not really sure what difference that belief is supposed to make. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do about that. And I can't tell that there's anything missing in my life because I'm not 
doing anything about it. So I'm not really motivated to figure out anything more about y'all get where I'm going. I mean, we just don't pay much attention to it. Periodically, a, a book comes out, a movie comes out, maybe something weird happens in our life or the life of a friend. And we're kind of, you know, periodically, our curiosity is piqued. Periodically, we get kind of, and maybe it's a sermon series. And so we're talking about it and we're studying it, but we get over it. We get over it and we go back on. And when I say we get over it, what I mean, folks, is you and I will live huge swaths of life with no thought, no concept of a spiritual realm. And, and that's not going to work. That's not, that's not a statement to our well-being, folks. It, it doesn't work well when you ignore truth and when you ignore reality, does it? You know, here, let me give you a real concrete example that I think a lot of us are familiar with. And you'll be, well, yeah, I do ignore that even though I know it. Here's something I'm pretty sure almost all of us deal with. I'm guessing most of us in here have an enemy. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, don't raise hands. <laughs> yeah, we have, we, have, we have enemies, right? Your enemy might be somebody you're going to be dealing with tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Your enemy might be 25 years ago, but the pain and the anger is like it was yesterday. The enemy might be 2,500 miles away. We, we, have, we have an enemy. And I'll bet for most of us, when I say the word enemy, you're not thinking enemy. I bet your enemy has a name. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it has a name, which means it's made of flesh and blood, right? Now, folks, doesn't the scripture tell us, and the answer is yes, Ephesians chapter 6. The scripture tells us that our enemy's not flesh and blood. Some of y'all right now, that's, oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I know that verse. Our enemy does not have flesh and blood. Our enemy is of spiritual forces of darkness. So many of us know that understand it, would say we believe it, and don't spend one second living in light of it, not one. We'll leave and go right back out there dealing with the false enemy, meaning we're dealing with it in the wrong way. Well, if I'm, a, if I'm dealing with the wrong enemy and I'm dealing with it in the wrong way, guess what? I've got wasted energy, I've got inefficient energy, and I've got things breaking because when you do things the wrong way, things break. And folks, this is what's going on in our lives and many of us don't even know that this is all tied to the, to the spiritual realm. So this is very real, very concrete, what we're talking about. The Bible says there is a spiritual realm and everything thing that goes on in the spiritual realm has impact on what's going on in the physical realm. I can take you to verses that show you an impact on prayer, that show you an impact on health, that show you an impact on governments. Folks, stuff that touches you and me every single day is being impacted by activities going on inside the spiritual realm. Now that gets, okay, kind of spooky. That gets kind of scary. Hey, the good news is we don't need to live in fear of that. We certainly do not need to live in fear of what happened to this old boy in Mark chapter 5. Now, when I say we don't need to live in fear, I need to define the word we. We who are born again. We who are children of God. The very second you become a child of God, God comes and lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. He literally takes up residence in you. That's why we don't have to go to a building for God. The building's right here, right? That's what the New Testament teaches. The building is, is here. God lives in me. And the scripture also says that God and demons don't live in the same house. So the moment God lives in, then no demon can ever live here again, which means what's going on in Mark chapter 5 can never happen to me. Now that's good news. Amen. Whew. Gosh, I'm glad that's not going on. Now that doesn't mean I need to be negligent. That doesn't mean I need to be apathetic toward the spiritual realm. As a matter of fact, the more you understand what the scripture is saying about the spiritual realm, I would say at least two things need to be dominant in your life, prayer and obedience. 
When I'm praying, when I'm, I'm living in, in communion with God and I'm, I'm sensitive to his voice, I'm sensitive to his leadership, I'm, I'm knowing and living and walking in his will, I'm living in obedience. Man, that's just like keeping the strong fortress of God's power against any kind of demonic attack. While they can't live in me, they can't attack me. While they can't live in me, they can oppress. They can make life bad. And prayer and obedience is what builds a fortress. On the other hand, when I'm not in communion with God, when, when there's ongoing unrepentant sin, I'm, I'm living, I'm, I'm okay with my disobedience. I'm, I'm going to keep on living in that area and disobedience. Man, I'm just opening my life wide to the, to the demonic realm and the oppression and the, and the struggle that they want to cause in life. Now here again, that can get kind of spooky. Let me remind you of the good news. First John 4, 4, he who lives in me is greater than the one who lives in the world. Capital H, who's that? Okay. Yeah, thank you. Let's try this again. All right. Capital H, that's who? Amen. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Jesus lives in me. Greater is Jesus who lives in me than the little H. Okay, the little H, that can be demons and or people. The, the First John refers to it as anti-Christs. It's, did you hear the plural? A lot of times when you and I hear or use the word antichrist, we don't use it in the plural. As a matter of fact, that might even be a new concept for some of you. You thought there was one, capital A, we see him in the tribulation, we see him at the end of time. But First John 4 talks about antichrists, okay? And antichrists, those are demons, those are people being motivated by demons who are living in, working in opposition to God. Working in opposition to God's work. By the way, do you know what God's work is? God's work is to bring you to know him. And then in knowing him for you to enjoy that and follow him closely so that he is seen before all in the world. That, that's, that's what God's plan is. That's what God's work is. The antichrists, demons, people are, are those who work against that. They're working against that in our world. So folks, here's the good news. Jesus is a greater power than any demon or all the demons together, period, that's it. That's the whole message. When you're talking about the spiritual realm, and the spiritual realm is not just demons, it's also the angels, the good side. But today our story has us focus on looking at the demons, the bad side. Jesus is a greater power than all of that. And we see a lot of illustration of that in the Gospels. As a matter of fact, if you've ever done a read-through of the Bible, it's kind of interesting because the Gospels cover three years. Now, you take Matthew and Luke, they open the first two chapters with the Christmas story. So you could say they cover 33 years. But if you, if you pull those two chapters out, the Gospels are mostly about three years, the three years of Jesus' ministry. And when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus interacting with demons. It feels like almost every chapter. It feels like almost daily. What's, why I say that's interesting, in that three years, there's more demonic activity visible to you and me than there is in the prior 1,400 years of the New Testament. I mean, there's nowhere near the amount. Now, there's demonic activity, but I'm talking about where we see it and people are interacting with it. There's way more in those three years than there is the prior 1400. And you know what? After Jesus is resurrected, after he ascends back into heaven, that activity comes back down again. Still spiritual warfare, still demon activity, but you don't see that day-to-day -day picture like you do with Jesus, which makes me scratch my head and say, why is that? Why in these three years? Here's my opinion. I can't take you to a verse that says this. This is my opinion on the issue. 
Jesus, God, Satan, demons in this spiritual realm, there's a warfare going on. And then God in love beyond love, love beyond explaining, puts on a human body. So he comes and lives among us and will die for us. Well, when Jesus stepped out of the spiritual realm into the physical realm, I think he brought the war with him. The battlefield changed. The battlefield moved from this spiritual realm down to this physical realm. And that's why possibly in the gospels, we just see all this demon activity like we don't see in any of the other parts of the Bible. So what we're seeing is what's always been going on. We're seeing in the physical realm what is always going on in the spiritual realm. I find it interesting that the Bible uses words like spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. We use those words. That's a part of our lingo. Because when I think of war and battle, it's very different than what I see with Jesus. When I think of a war, I, I, I think of ground being gained and lost. I think of casualties. I, I think of there, there's not yet a winner and a loser, right? I mean, if there's a war, that means we're fighting to see who's going to be the winner and the loser. But when there's a declared winner and a declared loser, at that point, the war's usually over, right? Okay, well, that's what I'm talking about when I say that's not what it means when we talk about warfare. Yes, there is an enemy. Yes, they oppose, they antagonize, they come against. But boy, folks, I don't, I don't think we should picture Jesus in the kind of warfare that maybe comes to our mind when we think of warfare. I want to show you three observations I want to make out of Mark chapter 5. And I also included the other places where Jesus interacted with demons leading up to Mark chapter 5. Now there's more beyond Mark chapter 5. I just put down the ones. And so you see there was two interactions in chapter 1, one in chapter 3. And then of course there's what we're reading about in Mark chapter 5. Three observations I make from Jesus doing battle Jesus going to war with, with these demons. Number one, the demons always know who Jesus is every single time. That's kind of a war for us, isn't it? There's the war of doubt. There's the war of, of uncertainty. We're trying to figure that out. Hey, demons aren't trying to figure out who Jesus is. They know who he is and they immediately acknowledge him as the Holy One, as the Holy Son of God. You know, it's interesting Jesus has uh, a, a number of brothers. They're half-brothers, obviously. There's the, the miracle with Mary and, the, and God. And then there's Mary and Joseph. And Mary and Joseph go on. The New Testament tells us to have brothers and sisters with Jesus. So half-brother. One of Jesus' brothers was a guy named James. And James actually becomes a big church leader and later writes this book that we study at the end of the New Testament. It's the letter from James. And James is writing a group of people and he's really concerned because they call themselves believers, but that's about the extent of it. Kind of like in this series where we've talked about Man, in, in American Christianity, we've really gotten used to calling ourselves followers of Jesus without ever really thinking about where we're following them. I mean, I can call myself a follower of Jesus and not one time this think, week think about following him anywhere in my life. Seems like a disconnect, doesn't it? Well, that's kind of what James is dealing with. And so here's this group of people that don't really, you know, they say things. Well, hey, we believe that Jesus is the son of God. And you know what James says to him in chapter 2, verse 19? He says, hey, whoop-de-doo. You believe that Jesus is the son of God. Guess what? Demons also believe that Jesus is the son of God. And they're not born again. They're not followers of Jesus. Now, when James says that, is he just making a doctrinal statement? Or like the gospel show us, Mary, Jesus' brothers and sisters following him around. Was he there? 
He's not just making a doctrine. Hey man, I witnessed it. Listen, if all you've got in your walk with Christ is that you give mental acknowledgement that Jesus is God. Hey, guess what? I saw demons do that. Demons know who he is. That's not saying very much. Wow. Okay. I don't know about y'all. I want to be a little more than a demon, right? I want to have a little bit more in my relationship with Christ than just, yes, he's the son of God. That's the challenge there. Second thing I see, not only do they know who God is, not only do they know who Jesus is, but folks, while they fight him, while they resist him, while they attack his works, they always submit. They always immediately submit to him. You know, here again, folks, I see a correlation with people. People can reject Christ. People can rebel against Christ. People can just live in apathy to Christ. But Philippians chapter two, verse 10 and 11 says, there's a day where every eye created will see the son of God. And when that moment happens, every knee bows, every tongue confesses, just like every demon out there that lives in opposition and rebellion. They all acknowledge who he is. They all confess who he is. So will every, every person every person ever created. Now there's a third in my last point, and this is a line that is right, but it's not right. All by itself, there's no battle against Jesus. Well, you think, well, now that doesn't make sense. Obviously there's a battle against Jesus. There's a, the demon horde and what they're doing. When I say there's no battle against Jesus, I'm trying to correct this picture in our mind where maybe we picture Jesus in some kind of battle where we picture Jesus in, in some kind of fight. And, and, you know, boy, it's just, it's going right down to the end of time, you know, how this thing is going to work out and, and who's going to win. Do, do y'all, any of y'all remember, you're going to have to have a little bit of age, I think, to remember this. Do y'all remember the gospel singer, Carmen? Y'all remember that guy? He's a great singer. As a matter of fact, he didn't sing songs. He sang like epic stories. Remember a lot of his songs, they were usually like nine minutes long, first of all. And it tell this big story. He had this one song where, where Jesus and Satan were in the, in the 15 round championship heavyweight fight of the world. And they're battling back and forth. And obviously we're coming up to the cross and oh, Satan catches him with a right hook. Jesus is down for the count. It looks like he's lost. And then the ref starts to count, but the ref's counting backwards and Jesus rise and Jesus is the heavyweight champion of the world. Woo! It's exciting. And you're driving down the road in the you got to pull off and just yell. This is so cool. Jesus won. Well, if you heard the song, you would. It's a, it's a cool song, man. It's just, you get goosebumps. You want to pull over. That, that's just the best song in the world. It is horrible theology, but it is the best song in the world. Folks, see, that's what I'm saying. When we hear words like spiritual warfare, spiritual battle, the angels again, we, in our mind, we're, we're, there, there's this big fight and boy, we're counting on Jesus and the, boy, the scripture tells me he wins in the end and that's what... Folks, Jesus is not trading blows with Satan. Okay? There's not a yin and the yang. There's not a good versus evil. There's not this balance and, and it's gonna come down to the very end to find out. Folks, there is no power that can stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that includes the power of the entire demon horde. It includes the power of Satan when he speaks battle over. And so when these demons come before him, man, they can't, they, listen, they're afraid. They have no strategy. They have no authority. They have no power in the presence of Jesus Christ. The extent of the battle is them negotiating, is them begging and pleading how he's going to deal 
with them. That's, that's the extent of the battle. And then he speaks. Now, don't hear me explaining the demon horde as weak and insignificant and pathetic. Folks, probably best way to understand it is this. The weakest and dumbest demon is almost immeasurably smarter and stronger than you. The demons and the angels are a class of being, a class of God's creation that has tremendous strength and has tremendous wisdom. You don't want to, you don't need to go toe-to-toe with them. You just rely on one great truth. Greater is he who's in me than that mess right there. Okay, I've got Jesus Christ. So folks, here's where I say there's not a battle because when it's all said and done, all the attacks, all the scurrying around of the demons, all the warfare... When it's all said and done, it only ends up accomplishing God's purposes. That is the kind of power that he has. They will only accomplish what God wants done. So here we have this this man, this demon. And of course, it's not demon, it's demons, right? It's demons that Jesus says, what's your name? And the guy says, our name is Legion. We don't know quite what that means. I mean, the, the, the demon says, there's many of us in here. We don't know a number to put with that. Okay, there, there's nothing we can confidently say. This is how many demons are in that guy. Now, oddly enough, names usually communicate. And, and anybody in that day and age that would have heard Legion would have thought of a Roman Legion. And a Roman legion had 5,000 to 6,000 soldiers in it. I don't know for sure that that's what the demon is meaning to communicate. But possibly 5,000, 6,000 demons are inside this guy. So, so here's the battle. Here comes the horde of 5,000 demons up against Jesus. And just like last week, folks. Just like last week when Jesus stood up in that boat and one word and the wind stopped, two words and the seas became dead calm. Jesus doesn't bow up. He doesn't show his muscles. We don't scan over all of his guns and weapons. I mean, that looks like power to Hollywood. I get it. That makes me get all nervous too. But folks, you realize Jesus doesn't have to bow up. He doesn't have to brace. He doesn't have to get his footing. He speaks. He doesn't have to yell. For us, yelling means power and anger. He doesn't have to yell. He just speaks. The spoken word of Jesus is more power than anything you and I have ever witnessed or ever will witness in the physical or the spiritual realm. Just his word is power. Now, what, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Remember what we said last week? We were trying to understand his power to speak to the weather and it obeyed. And we said, that, hey, what's that look like and feel like? Remember what we saw with the disciples? Remember how the story starts with the disciples were afraid of the storm, but they were what of Jesus? Terrified. Afraid of the storm, terrified of Jesus. Well, why would they be terrified? It was a kind of power that you could not help but wonder, is it safe Is it safe in proximity to this kind of power? Watch this, folks. I didn't read the whole story. Chapter 5, let me finish. Verse 13. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what it was that had happened and they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man 
the one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were what? They were afraid. Same thing the disciples experienced in the boat, maybe just an hour or two earlier. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to leave. What kind of power are we talking about when just his word? It's a power that unnerves. His friends last week, crowds and strangers this week. It is a power that unnerves. You know, folks, the Bible clearly presents Jesus to us as as just incredibly loving, right? He's loving, he's kind, he is gentle. Man, folks, next week we're going to see Jesus with this this little girl and we're going to see a gentleness. We're going to see words come off his lips to this little girl that can only be described as precious. That's our Jesus, right? That's the Jesus we gravitate to. That's That's the Jesus we're very comfortable with, that we really like to think on, that loving, that gentle, that kind Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is absolutely a biblical portrait of Jesus. But it's not the entirety of the biblical portrait of Jesus, is it? No, no, the the entirety of that portrait also shows us a power that is terrifying, a power that is unnerving. It's a power you're not even sure you want to be there in the presence of him. And folks, it is that power that guarantees he can promise nothing's going to enter your life this week that I don't control. It is that power that guarantees you there is no power that can separate from how much I love you. That power, what we're witnessing, is what makes those promises. Folks, there's a reason it costs to follow Christ. The demon horde. Their work tomorrow when they wake up with you is to make sure that knowing and enjoying and following Christ is difficult, unrewarding, uncomfortable, maybe make you think he's not even there, he's asleep because he doesn't care about you last week. That's what they do. And sometimes those powers get the best of us, don't they? Sometimes those powers hurt. Sometimes those powers cause a real conflict of belief. But folks, when you feel like that power is just about to take you out. And maybe in this physical realm, it will. You always know this. That power will bow before my Lord and call him God. That's just one more reason we would follow, no matter the cost. Amen? Let's pray. Father, could it be true? Could it be true of me? Could it be true of us, God? That we have a deep abiding faith, a deep abiding comfort and hope that no matter what comes in this week, you got it. 
And we've seen evidence of the power. When you say you've got it, we, we've seen evidence two weeks in a row of the kind of power that you have. And we know that ultimately, no matter what you allow a power to get away with for the moment, when it's all said and done, all those powers will only serve your purpose. God, I pray that I'm fitting in with your purpose. I'm walking according to your purpose. I'm living in your purpose. God, thank you for the church. Thank you for each other because by ourselves, this is hard. It's hard to believe this. It's hard to hold on to it. Oh, how we need each other to come together and encourage and help and pray so we don't walk alone as we follow you. The eternal one the power of all power, the king of all king, the Lord of all lords, the one for whom all created things will bow. And you love me. It's in your name we pray. Amen.